Hello, and welcome to Human Is My Label. This is your host, Emily Purry. I am a wife, a mother, a daughter, a sibling, and a former athlete. I work full-time, I am the founder of RAPID, a nonprofit organization, and I'm legally blind. I am so excited about opening the conversation about everything equity. We will primarily be talking about disability, as that is my lived experience, and it is often the minority left out of the equity conversation. I am passionate about equity for all identities, as I have family members from the communities of color, LGBTQIA, disabilities, and we span all ages. It is my goal to normalize these conversations, get people comfortable with the uncomfortable, and include everyone. After all, we are all human. It was July 16th, 2009. It was a beautiful sunny day in Portland. I was going for a run with all the rest of the tourists that flocked to Portland in the summer months. I was running along, minding my own business. I didn't have my iPod, I didn't have my phone, I didn't have my dog. It was just me, out for a run. Something I did on a regular basis to relieve stress. If I was bored, whatever the case may be, fitness was my outlet. All of a sudden, BAM! My hands hit the concrete, my knees scrapes along the sidewalk. I look back and think to myself, what the hell? Then came the pain. My right knee started throbbing so intensely, I didn't know what to even think. I had never been in this much pain in my life. I come to my senses and all I hear is, oh my God, are you okay? Somebody could have died. And so I come to my senses, I get myself up, I get gathered up, I'm trying to figure out what to do next, what just happened, and I look back, and there's a hole. There's a hole somebody had dug out, and at the bottom of that hole was a sprinkler. The doctors say my knee went straight in, full force, all my weight on the one leg. It went left, it went right, it went backwards and hyperextended, and then it flew forward and I flew out of the hole with my momentum. The pain is still there. It hurts so bad and I am so embarrassed. I was the most badass chick I knew. I was in shape, I was fit, and people like me didn't fall down, especially not in public. As I get onto my feet, I remember a gentleman on a bike saying, holy crap, ma'am, are you okay? I said, yeah, 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 yeah. I was so embarrassed. I didn't know what to do. So I hobble over to a bench to collect myself and, and figure out what I'm going to do next. And my knee is killing me. So I said, okay, I don't have my phone. I don't have anything to contact anybody. I got to get home. So I started walking. I was in so much pain, but there was no other option, and I was too embarrassed to ask anybody for help. I know, stupid me. So I got home, I called my mom, I said, Mom, I need to go to the emergency room. I just fell, and I need help. 
I then call my sister and I say, what do I do? I don't want anybody else to fall in this hole. What do I do? And as my sister is an attorney, she said, you need to go take pictures in case something major happened to your knee. You need to make sure that you're covered and that nobody else gets hurt. So my mom gets there fairly immediately. I'm still in pain. My knee, I don't even know that knee pain can feel so badly. I take my mom to where we were. And I said to my mom when we got down there, I said, Mom, is it because I'm blind? Now, I'll go back to this, but I had much more sight 10 years ago when this happened. I didn't have a guide dog. I didn't use a cane. None of that was really applicable at this time. So take that into consideration in this story. And my mom looked at me and said, No, um, nobody would have seen this. There's the shadow of the tree. It's in the corner. It's in a hugely populated area. There's no way you could have seen that even if you had perfect sight. I said, okay, good. Because I feel really stupid. And she's like, no. So we called the city and we said, there's a hole that hasn't been covered. You need to get it marked. Somebody's going to fall in it and severely hurt themselves way more than I did. And I could think of an elderly person or somebody using a wheelchair or a walker just falling into that hole and really, truly injuring themselves more than I did. We get to the emergency room, do all the testing, everything else. We go home. We get set up for an MRI. Immediately after knee injuries, everything's too swollen. An MRI will not read correctly because everything's too swollen. So you have to let things go down. So immediately, I'm up on rest. At the time, I had my own massage therapy practice and fitness consulting practice that I was doing in Northwest Portland. Well, that immediately had to stop because I couldn't stand long enough. I had to let my knee heal if it was going to heal. And it was too painful. So there I was. I was single. I wasn't married then. I didn't have any kids. I wasn't living with my parents. I'm legally blind, so I don't drive. And I live alone. My mode of transportation is mass transportation and my feet, my legs. And the privilege that I have to have those feet and legs is a whole nother story. So doctor's appointments, after doctor's appointments, after brace, I, I must have got fit for four that I can think of, different braces, trying to relieve pressure off one joint, part of the joint, to allow another part of the joint to heal, and seeing which one's more important and more of a priority than the others. My first surgery was on Christmas Eve of 2009. They said, let's repair the meniscus, because most of the pain was on the medial or the inside of my knee. They're hoping it's the meniscus. I think it's the meniscus that's causing all this pain. Let's get that repaired and see how it goes. We do that surgery. The pain continues. Long story short, we get to the point where we are three surgeries in and they say, okay, we think it is the cartilage that is so badly damaged in your femur, the piece that has been chipped out that Every time you walk on your leg, it's like you're tearing off a scab between your joints. And that's why it's so painful. 
they said we need to do something called microfracture and so we will go in and we'll take a piece of your um, your uh, basically sh shave off a piece of your bone and hope that that cartilage can repair that surgery didn't go through then they did what was called an osteotransfer, articular transfer, something, something, something. So basically they pulled a plug out of my knee of my bone and cartilage and replaced it with some synthetic cart cart cartilage. The synthetic cartilage didn't hold. The surface of it became jagged and still, again, I had that same pain every time I bent and straightened my leg. Finally, five years later, we find a solution. It was the same surgery as the fourth surgery, but this time it was with a piece of cadaver bone and cartilage, so a, a human. And I still have that piece today. I am in chronic pain every day, and in between surgeries three and five, I ended up in a medical detox facility. For two and a half years, they had me on oxycodone, oxycotton, oxy everything, and this was prior to the oxy epidemic. And so, as a blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl with all the privilege in the world, I honestly could get as many drugs as I wanted. Now, I am fortunate. I am very fortunate to not have that genetic, hereditary, whatever the case may be, and of course it's up to your beliefs, component of addiction. And I am so incredibly thankful for that. I wanted to get off the drugs. I said, these are changing my life. These are changing my personality. I need to get off these medications. And so... The doctors have said, okay, that's great. We need a pain management plan. And we don't have that right now because we don't know why you're in so much pain. We can't figure it out. This was before the last two surgeries. And I said, okay, well, let's figure that out because I want off these. They said, okay, we'll figure it out. But as we all know, the medical system, love it to death, but it can take a long time. I decided to go off the medication, cold turkey. And that was a very bad idea. So that moment, the doctors finally realized that I was serious about wanting to get off that medication and wanting to be off it for good. And so they sent me to the medical detox so that I could be monitored 24 hours a day while I detox off these medications. This was one of the most interesting experiences of my life. I previously had never done any drugs I took my oxy as prescribed. I didn't abuse it. I didn't want to abuse it. Um, you know, the combinations of meds you have to take when you're on oxy, including Benadryl so you don't itch yourself to death and everything else. Um, I'm shocked that I wasn't addicted to something, but I truly wasn't. But my body definitely was. So I spent eight days in a detox facility. I learned more about drugs than I ever wanted to know. And I learned about the experience of those who did have that genetic component of drug addiction. And that was the most intense thing I had ever seen. 
one of the funny things about that is, you know, we all say we're all in denial about addiction, but when you're in a detox facility and that's, that's coincides with a tre treatment, um, treatment program, that is even more magnified. I would tell these people, no, I'm, you know, I'm not addicted. I just need the detox component. I need the monitoring because my vitals crash and that's not good. And they said, no, 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 you need treatment. You're just in denial. And I said, no, no, I'm really not. I took these things as prescribed. And that was the most abstract concept to any of the people in there. You took them as prescribed? Whoa, that's amazing. Um, but the fact that I was on two and a half years every day trying to make that pain go away, my body was dependent. So I get out of detox. The funny thing about detox was they did not tell me that I was done detoxing when I left. They had me on Suboxone when I was there, which is a drug that helps people detox without experiencing all of the side effects. So while I was in the facility, I was under this little protected blanket where I only had to start the withdrawal symptoms, but I didn't have to go through them for the full eight days. However, when I got home, I did not realize that I would still be detoxing. Like I said, never done drugs, never been addicted to anything, never had that chemical dependency in my body before. So for the next 13 days, it was constant. I felt anxiety that I'd never felt before. My body was literally creating new pathways to the point where it seemed like I was seizing at night because of the electric impulses I felt in my legs and arms and bodies. And I would cry and I, there was nothing that could stop it. Uh, Jameson, my husband, God bless him. He was, we were still dating then and he would draw baths in the middle of the night because the bath was the only thing that could get me to come off that dependency, come off that, the, the symptoms of the withdrawals. And so that's what we did for 13 days. And so I got out of detox in August and I was still having the electrical impulses is what I call them. It's like lightning bolts through your body. Um, the last one I could remember was when we were camping all the way in October. And they became less frequent and less frequent, but still in October, I was detoxing from those opioids. So, through this process, as a legally blind person, and with somebody who spent six to eight weeks on crutches, zero weight bearing, they wanted my leg to heal. Zero weight bearing. I had to go to physical therapy twice to three times a week. I had to go, I needed counseling more than I know. Um, I had no coping mechanisms. I stopped working out because I didn't know what to do. And I was so frustrated with the minimal amount I could do. And I had no support. I had nobody at the gym who understood that I can't see very well and I can't walk very well and, 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 and I lost my identity of who I was. I didn't have an outlet of any kind. Um, I was expected to go to all these appointments because there was a lawsuit involved. And if I missed those appointments, then the lawsuit could be, you know, negate because I, because I uh, didn't follow the recommendations of the doctor. I had to go get my pain medications. They're controlled one substance, so I had to go get them physically. Yes, I have family near me, but they all have lives. I don't want to count on them any more than I have to. 
And that's what happened. I, I needed to depend on them or I would crutch up and down the hill on my crutches and, and go from there. So I tell you all of this today because I'm here to introduce RAPID, the nonprofit I started. RAPID stands for Rehabilitation and Athletic Performance Intersecting Disability. I am building a facility or a sanctuary, as I like to call it, for people experiencing disability. This place includes all services that we need to rehabilitate without having to transport, use transportation, find transportation, call family members, whatever it is. This facility has a residential facility. It has your athletic performance facilities. It has your mental health counseling. It has your pain clinic. It has your PT, your OT. If you need to come get a guide dog because you recently lost your sight, if you need vocational rehab, if you need to change careers and need to go back to school, there'll be scholarship funds. Rapid is the place you can come. I'm looking for 17 to 20 acres where this facility can reside. And it's going to be a place where we serve people to start with all physical disabilities and veterans with all disabilities. Veterans are another community that experience this shift in life when they possibly come back from being overseas. And they're expected to plug back into civilian life and act as if they haven't seen all the things they've seen or experienced what they've experienced or dealing with a disability for the first time and there's nowhere for them to go and that's why we see so many veterans and so many people with disabilities on the streets today we need a place where people can go and transition back into life transition out of a hospital they're all their wounds are all healed physically and they're ready for that next step, but they're not ready to enter society. They need a place where they can go and get counseling and not be ashamed, where they can learn about horticulture therapy and the benefits of different types of therapies. They need to go be with peers who are going through the same experiences that they are. And they need an outlet, a physical outlet, that if they were former athletes like myself, they have a place where they can go and get a great workout with trainers who understand the body and understand disability and understand their situation and they don't have to tell their story over and over and over and over again all this the modalities talk all the practitioners talk so that these people don't have to be traumatized over and over and over again about the story that has completely altered and changed their life and then they need to accept it and then they need to embrace it and then they need to thrive in their new life. But they need the space, they need the time to do this before going back and entering society. They need the time to understand who they are before they have to go back to their children's and their wives and their husbands and their spouses that expect them, yes, they give them grace, but they also expect them to plug back into life because life is going a thousand miles an hour for everybody. Rapid is the place for this. Rapid is the place where you can come and heal and get everything you need in one place 
by just rolling out the doors, by just taking a walk across the pathway, by having support, by having peer support all around you, all the time, encouraging you, helping you find new outlets, helping you find a new sport. If I was a runner, then I could become a swimmer. And I have the support of people and adaptive equipment and adaptive sports to get me through that. This is what rapid is. And it is my goal. And I am so passionate about it. And I know there's a need for it. There are similar athletic facilities around the nation, but none of them include a residential facility. None of them include that next step that, that fills that gap between hospital and home. I'm going to wrap this up soon, but if we look at the statistics of people with disabilities, obesity, higher, binge drinking, higher, smoking, higher, drug use, higher, depression, higher, anxiety, higher than the average population. We need to change these statistics. We need to make change in these statistics. And that happens both in the hospital, that's where it starts. But then the months and the years following that, having a community, having a family, having a place you can come back to and say, okay, I went back out in society and people were staring at me and people didn't understand me. And now what do I do? And you have people who can process through that with you. We need to change the statistics of society. So today was all about rapid. Today is what I plan on spending the rest of my life developing so that people like me and people who have more severe cases than I did. I was lucky I still have my leg, but there are other people who don't have that and have learned to adapt and who are thriving in their lives. But not all people have that experience. So head on over to the website. R-A-P-I-D-O-R-E-G-O-N RapidOregon.org Check it out. It is new. We are new. We're just babies in this world, but we are growing faster than you know. Please click that donate button if you're passionate about this, if you want to help us make this happen. And let's change the lives of people experiencing new disabilities or furthering in their progression of disabilities. With that, that brings us to our favorite part of the day, the six-year-old questions. And I will bring in my better half to read the question for today. Jameson, take it away. Is it okay to ask if I can meet your dog? This is a question for someone with sight impairment. All right. So... Can I meet your dog? Can I pet your dog? Can I say hello to your dog? Any of those things are questions I get on a regular basis every single day. And anybody with a service animal also gets. And the answer is no. <laughs> I say that in a funny way, but technically you shouldn't even respond to the dog or the animal at this point um, that is next to the person. It's just like you asking if you could touch somebody's wheelchair or use their cane or something like that. 
and that would never occur to you. But since it's a beautiful, amazing, wonderful animal, which I know it is difficult, technically you should not even acknowledge the animal. And I know that's hard. You can always ask, but it you have to keep in mind that that person has probably been asked five times that day to pet your dog or they're making noises like or click snapping their fingers or all sorts of things. And the sad thing about this that a lot of people don't realize and um, a lo- some people will say, no, you cannot, they're working. And that's a totally appropriate answer. But the reason for that is, is a, the dog will become more people oriented. They'll want more people attention, attention from people when they go out and about. So in a case like myself with a guide dog, the guide dog needs to be paying attention to curbs and holes and divots and everything to keep me safe. And if Bevy is out there looking for other people to pet her and pay attention to her, she is more likely to not pay attention to me. So it's a safety thing for me. Also, the other thing that's really important about this and makes a lot of people sad when I tell them this is that when you're making noises at them or like saying, oh my gosh, so cute, or hey puppy, da 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 da, they're the ones that are going to get a correction for paying attention to you. So I'm definitely not going to reach up and make any kind of correction to the person who's making the noises, but the dog will get corrected for paying attention to those noises. And so when I tell people that, they feel really badly for talking to the animal and then they don't want to anymore. And it's not a punishment thing. Again, we, we've talked about how this is not a shameful place to learn. And so a lot of people think it's that, oh, Emily didn't want me to pet her dog. No, it's not that. Is I don't want Bevy to get used to getting excited about other people because then when we're walking down the street, she'll be trying to get love from everybody left and right. And that's not safe for me. And so when they think of it in that perspective, they understand a lot more clearly. So technically you can always ask, may I pet your dog? It is much better for us people with dogs to not be asked, but if you're going to attempt to pet our dog or meet our dog, then yes, please ask. Um, But the better thing to do is ignore the dog just as you would a wheelchair, a cane, a crutch, anything like that. You would never ask to touch or use or pet or anything, anybody's wheelchair, crutch, or cane. And that comparison is hard for people because, yes, a dog is a living being, but at that point when they're working, they are working. And that clear line between working and being a dog is made. And when they're at home, they do get the chance to be dogs. That's another thing. They are not in harness all the time. They are not in their vest all the time. When me and Bevy go home, she plays and runs around like any four-year-old dog does and, you know, talks and talks and talks like all the shepherds do. And so she gets plenty of time to be a dog, but when that harness goes on, she needs to know it's work time. And when the harness comes off, she can go play and be a dog. So if we start confusing those for Bevy or any other service animal, that's when things get tricky for them to try to know when am I working and when am I playing. So black and white with that harness on, harness off, um, dog, service animal, or vest on, or whatever it is for the service animals. So there we are. That wraps us up for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great day and make it a fantastic week. Thank you so much for joining me here today at Human Is My Label. 
Don't forget to subscribe, share this with your friends, families, and coworkers. Get out there, get comfortable with the uncomfortable, include everyone, and push yourself to be better every day. If you're interested in coaching or corporate training or learning more about RAPID, visit us at rapidorgan.org. That's R-A-P-I-D-O-R-E-G-O-N.org. You can find me at emily.purry on Instagram and all my other social handles are below. Have a great day and I can't wait to see you next week.